Hey everyone, welcome to episode 169 of the MTG Grindcast, the spikiest podcast in all of Central North Carolina. We are your hosts, I'm Chris Castor-Apple, with me is Lee McLeod. Hey Lee. Hey Chris, how are you doing? I'm doing well. Man, we didn't do anything to celebrate episode 169, I guess. How non-MTG community of us. It's really not that special. (laughs) Like, I'm sorry. (sighs) <sighs> All right, well, we'll just wait for, like, a nice round number. We that, can that maybe do more. episode, like, 420. That'd be an acceptable one. Are we going to make it to 420? That's a long I don't know away. what the special numbers are. I'm not a numberologist. <laughs> maybe we save the celebration for episode 200. It's a little less nice, though. Yeah. I mean, that's bicentennial, right? Although, you know, if we're actually going by number of years, that, well, that's, like, okay. three and change in... <laughs> I don't know if there's a special word for that. I don't either. Before we get too into episode 169, I want to thank our patrons. We really, really appreciate y'all's support. It is super helpful. I have purchased a new microphone and some equipment to try to make that microphone work, but have been having problems with it, so you won't you won't be hearing it on this episode. So we'll get there, though. And uh, your support helps us upgrade our equipment, hopefully. If you want to lend us some support, head over to patreon.com slash mtggrindcast. You can join the Discord, get some stuff sent out to you, ask Patreon questions, suggest topics for our bonus episodes, and listen to our bonus episodes. New patrons this month, we've got Chris Corrente and Alex Owen. And I think if that is the Alex Owen that I am thinking of, he's a good friend from college who I used to play Magic with. I know that he listens to this show in, in order to, like, stay connected with Magic, even though he doesn't really get to play anymore. So oh, that's cool. Yeah. Alex, thank you for listening, and, and thanks for your support. And thanks to everybody for your support. It, it's super, super helpful. I know I, especially at the beginning of the pandemic, couldn't play Magic at all because the mm-hmm. format was terrible because of companions. <laughs> so I just listened to podcasts, and that was my Magic for a while. Yeah. Honestly, like doing the podcast kind of like forces me to stay engaged in a way that I might not otherwise. (laughs) So this episode, we are going to just talk about some modern because we have not really talked about modern for a while. So figure we'd catch up on that a little bit. Yeah, I just wanted to like poke my hand in because we didn't know we were going to talk about. We've got some legacy stuff coming up. Didn't want to jump into that right, right away. Yeah, I'll probably spend some time playing a little bit of Legacy before we talk about it too much in preparation for the Mana Traders tournament. But yeah, so we're going to talk about some modern and then talk a little bit about historic, but mostly use that as an excuse to talk about Kaladesh Remastered. And I will be more pumped to play some historic when the Kaladesh Remastered cards are out. There's some old favorites in there for sure. I, I kind of am and I kind of am not because I think historic is... I haven't played it in a while because the format just looks not for me. Mm -hmm. But if I can Aetherworks Marvel into Ulamog, maybe it is for me. Like, maybe I can do it. Oh, yeah. Ulamog is legal in that format, isn't it? Oh, yeah. It definitely is. That's weird. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) That's, yeah. You had a question of what you Aetherworks into? The same thing you always Aetherworks into. Okay. But Emrakul is not legal. So we only got the, like medium post-ban etherworks marvel the all or nothing spins yeah okay cool cool but yeah let's talk about modern first before we get into that so 
I don't know if you've been keeping track of Modern or anything like that, because I know it's been a little bit since I checked in on the format, mm-hmm. other than just like periodically looking at decks people post on Twitter or whatever. I mean, I know some of the stuff that's going on. Yeah, I've been like, you know, kind of ancillarily keeping track. I know that Uro is a big deal, and I know that Skyclave Apparition has become a big deal in the format. Those things I'm pretty aware of. Yeah, from what I can tell, those two cards, Uro and Skyclave Apparition, are like the basis of modern right now. Yep. Uh, not necessarily in a bad way, because I think Skyclave Apparition specifically is doing a lot of good for modern. Oh, for sure. That Uro is... is the opposite. <laughs> <laughs> so basically, I-, I looked at three tournaments for this. Mm-hmm. Uh, the the t- two challenges this week, past weekend and the champs, which were... You know, a special moto tournament where you have to get qualified for it first before you can play in it. Uh, basically, what's happening in Modern is like a brief overview. There's a ton of Omnath slash Uro decks. Like, usually Omnath decks have Uro in them, or they pretty mm-hmm. much all do. And that's independent from the Uro deck itself, which is more or less like a hard control deck that doesn't really play Omnath. Sure. There are way more Omnath decks than Uro decks. Interesting. Okay. It's because the, the Omnath is just such a strong card. Mm-hmm. And the fet- be fetch lands being as good as they are in modern, Uro just supplements Omnath so well. There's no mm-hmm. reason to... Especially since Ren and Six, you play in both anyway. Yeah. Most of the time. Uh, it just makes sense to include Omnath in that like Uro pile. Or Uro in the Omnath piles rather than like not playing Omnath at all. Sure. Yeah, that makes sense. So what is the, like, sort of the flex couple of slots generally in these Omnath decks? What's, is it, is it like over the top stuff? Is it more counter magic? Like, what's the, the things outside of the, here's Omnath, here's Ren and Six, here's Uro, here's some removal spells sort of thing? So most of the four color control decks are just that. They're, they're mm-hmm. control decks with Omnath and Uro in them. Those are like okay. usually the only creatures in the deck. Mm-hmm. And they've got Teferi's and Ren and Sixes, uh, either Time Raveler or um, Hero of Dominaria. Sometimes both. And then they just play a, a load of permission and removal spells and maybe an Hour of Promise because their in-state is always Field of the Dead. Right, right. That's like the main, I guess, control deck in Modern. That's kind of a mid-range deck as well. <laughs> Because uh-huh. the the Ur, the Omnath turns come out so much quicker with Uro fueling him. And mm-hmm. Ren and Six, you never have the land drop. You get so much mana. You can just play your stuff and then have all this life to work with. Not to say the least that Omnath is also just a 4-4, which is kind of big right. and modern still. There are a couple of weirder Omnath decks. Uh, I know you talked with Zach Allen not too long ago. About his time walk Omnath deck mm-hmm. with Savor the Moment and such. Well, yeah, Savor the Moments I don't think actually like make the final cut of the deck. No, but basically people are just playing that control shell I just mentioned, except for they're just having four time walks in their deck. And yeah. I've also seen Nexus of Fate here and then as well. Yeah, that makes sense. And and I don't remember if we talked about this at all on this show, but basically the the concept is like... Time walk is a perfect thing to cast on your Omnath, crack a fetch, get a blue mana, then you just cast time walk and then go from there. But it's also just a fine card in a Renin 6 deck. 
because every time you cast a time walk with a planeswalker in play, you get an extra activation of your planeswalker and you're closer to the ultimate. And Ren and Six's ultimate happens to allow you to just like cast a bunch of time walks out of your graveyard. So time walk's actually just a pretty good card in these decks. Yeah, it's Ren and Six is actually like the third best thing you can do too. Because right. Omnath, or not Omnath, Uro, Uro. is yeah. so good with Time Walk too. Because you, when you do the Omnath Time Walk turn, mm-hmm. if you don't have an Uro in play, which is likely, the Uro comes out like the next turn, and then all of a sudden you're passing with Omnath in play, Uro in play, draw a card. They have to deal with everything, and it's so hard to come back from. Yeah. And if you ever Time Walk with an Uro already in play, that's almost game. Yeah, just extra Uro attacks. Can't Can't complain about that. Yeah, when Uro attacks once, you feel like you're really far behind. Then all of a sudden, they just get another turn. Yeah. They can draw another time walk. <laughs> I've, yeah, I've not played bad. many games in Standard that were decided by the time walk variant just being cast, and then another one being on top of my library. It's like, oh, I guess I win. <laughs> well, and you also get uh, Mystic Sanctuary yeah. to chain time walks. So like, there's a lot to like about this time walk version of the deck. Yeah, I really, really like the Time Walk version. That said, it can be a little awkward sometimes mm-hmm. uh, when you're drawing Time Warps, or too many Time Warps. Yeah. And because if you just have Ren and Six Time Warp, it's not really worth firing off. Because Ren and Six doesn't do that much when you uptick it if you can't like protect it. Like you, you get a land and you get to advance the loyalty. But because she has such a high ultimate cost, and the cost of Time Walking with just Ren and Six is medium it's often better to wait until you have something better going on yeah i mean if you're at five mana like unless they have counter spells like you can't you don't get time walks stuck in your hand like you get to just cast them and you know use them to untap or whatever but yeah like certainly if you're not at five mana yet or if you're worried about them casting a mystical dispute or something like that then time walking is extremely awkward and to like round out the the Omnath portion of the decks, uh, there's also still people playing the four color Sahili Omnath deck mm. that we saw Zan and Canister play a little while ago. Uh, I'm not seeing too many people play that nowadays, but it is still out there. I think it is a fine choice. Like these Omnath decks are really good for a reason, uh, but I do generally prefer like the look and feel of the time walk versions better <laughs> because mm-hmm. their combo is essentially casting time warp and that's it right right and, and you, that probably just wins you the game anyway yeah and it goes over the top of pretty much anything that your opponent could possibly do in the same way that an infinite combo would without taking up the slots of Felidar guardians and sahili's in your deck yeah that's how time walks like work generally right usually when a time walk is good they're the best end game in a standard yeah. format for sure. Especially if you can, like, chain them together like Nexus of Fate. Well, Wizards got wise for a long time because I think Tempest had Time Warp in it. And then pretty much every other Time Warp they printed Exiles from itself, that point yeah. on either exiled itself or was, like, really, really bad. Like, um, Walk the Aeons or Save yeah. the Moment. Yeah. And I think that Nexus shuffling itself in was an attempt to make it so that you couldn't chain it. Like, you can't Torrential Gear Hulk your Nexus of Fate because it's not in your graveyard, but it turns out that shuffling it in is its own form of recursion. Yeah, that was not a great one either. And, like, these 
when you just time warp or nexus of fate over and over and over again you're just going to win the game even if your cards aren't you know infinite cats right i mean even if you're just like pinging them and attacking with omnath and then okay well here's a land like deal four to you with omnath like you it doesn't you don't need infinite time walks to kill them through anything if you just are taking extra extra turns you only need a few if you have any of your hitters on the board. I would live for the game where I had like one Nexus of Fate in my library and I decided to kill them with red and six pings. <laughs> well, you got rid of all my other stuff. This is your this is on you, opponent. Plus plus minus. Plus plus minus. I guess you have to three plus to minus. <laughs> but anyway. Anyways. Lots of Omnath decks. You're like can't go wrong picking one because they're so strong. And Uro, especially or Uro and Mystic Sanctuary are still really, really good no matter what shell you put them in. Mm-hmm. Uh, there is... I, I guess can talk about Uro slightly. Because it's not super popular, someone did play it in the challenge. Or, I'm sorry, in the in the champs is what it was. Okay, okay so someone played it a list that's pretty pro- typical of what you see with Uro control piles in the champs. It was 23rd place. Uh, it's mostly just a Sultai deck with Ren at 6, where mm-hmm. you are really stocked up on counter spells and removal spells. Kind of like the old Oko Urza decks, pretty much just played all counter spells and then had Urzas. Yep. It's pretty much that, except for it's all counter spells and you have Uro and Ren at 6 sure. as your like, Oko card that gives you continual advantage. And these are Field of the Dead in-game decks, unlike the Omnath decks, which have, you know, Omnath and Time Warp or Combo or something like that. You, you're you not allowed to play, comes into play tap lands that only make colorless if you have a card that costs white, blue, red, green, and then you want to play a fetch land the same turn that you play it. I mean, you say sh- that, but these I'm decks sure there are some still people play doing Field it. of the Dead. <laughs> it, yeah. it won the challenge, the four-color Uro without any uh, fancy stuff. Yeah. I mean, I guess it like it is a twenty nine land deck, so you're you're just playing Field of Ruin in spell slots, which is what you have to do then. Like, yeah, y- you can't have fewer than that. Like, you have to be running your number of lands that you would be playing in an Uro deck, and then add the Field of Ruin, Field of the Dead, on top of that. So, and this has this deck even has two Fields of Ruin in it, so it's it's really like a twenty five actual land deck, and then it's got the four colorless lands in there. Yeah, but Field of the Dead is like. It's overshadowed by Uru a lot of the time because Uru is like the big flashy card. Mm-hmm. But Field of the Dead is really what makes these control decks work in modern. Oh, for sure. Because they can't. It's just so hard to attack and it provides so much advantage. But uh, I think this Uru focused no Omnath deck is on a downtrend because it doesn't mm-hmm. have the kind of huge power that Omnath gives. Yeah, you just want that turn where you like really hit them with like big spell into a bunch of mana into another big spell. Like here, this four color Uro deck gets to go Omnath into Jace the Mind Sculptor or Teferi Hero of Dominaria. Like really doing it. I mean, a lot of Planeswalkers in this deck. There's also two Teferi Time Ravelers and any of those are like really good plays on your Omnath turn. Omnath, Fetchland, play Red and Six, play Teferi Time Raveler, huh? Yeah, that's how you make red green into blue white. Just don't worry about it. Just get it all when you <laughs> crack your fetch for Omnath. <laughs> it's easy. <laughs> play your field of the play your field of ruin. Generate mana. 
This list has no field of ruins. This list just has one field of the dead in it. It's, it's very reserved in no its true choices. Scotsman. <laughs> yeah, these these omnithics are are pretty nutty. Like, remember when, like, one of the better things to do in modern, where like a really powerful play was just Bloodbraid Elf into Liliana of the Veil. Yeah, because you two got spells. so much mana advantage in two spells. Omnath is that in just like one card. And it's always yeah. the best thing. And it draws you a card and then produces a million mana. It's just like turbocharged Bloodbraid Elf. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's that's exactly what it is. It just is free in multiple senses. And also, if you untap with it, you win the game. Unlike a 3-2, which like needs some help to win the game. Speaking of Bloodbraid Elf, I think that segues us nicely to... No one really knows what to do with uh mid-range or aggro decks in modern right now like it's still modern so there's a bunch of them right mm-hmm. but unlike the the like the titan decks or the control decks or on math decks they're not really solidified into any camps like none of them appear all that frequently that i could see yeah like there's and the titan decks are mostly like we're we're heavily in the elvish reclaimer era of of primeval titan right now right yeah there there's yeah. still some people playing amulet which i can respect but for the most part if you see primeval titan deck it's going to be elvish reclaimer flagstones based yep. yep and that is if you're not aware of, of that deck if you start with elvish reclaimer like you are capable of casting titan on turn four you just activate reclaimer on turn two to get a flagstones and then on turn three you sacrifice the flagstones for castle garen brig and then you're at six mana on your fourth turn. But just generally like a toolboxy mid-rangey version of a Titan deck. And you get to play Skyclad Operation. Yeah. I mean, that's a bonus. Card's great. Uh, yeah, the, the card is fantastic. It Like, there's just a bunch. There's prowess decks. It, there's mostly is it prowess, some moderate prowess. Uh, there's humans. There's Jun Shadow. I, there's one enterprising soul with Grixis Shadow still. I'm not sure what they were doing, but <laughs> they, they exist. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, we saw a huge like coming out party for Rakdos Death Shadow in our last modern tournament, and it's just like around, but it's not like a consensus like big part of the metagame or anything like that right now. There's like no one aggressive deck you could point to and say like, oh, this is the modern aggressive deck. The way you could, for a lot of the formats history, just point to like humans or even burn at some points where you're like, mm-hmm. this is the modern deck that is going to be aggressive that you have to like keep your eye on. Yeah. Like red green midrange, the old Ponza deck still sees a lot of play, but it is not. That deck seems bad against everything right now. I think so too, but it is not performing like that terribly it got eighth in i think one of the challenges and probably another one top eighted mm-hmm. yeah it got seventh in one of them and eighth in another it's but it's not like a an outstanding choice for a tournament i feel yeah like you can tool your deck it's really cool to play because it has a lot of good gameplay and a lot of rewarding decisions that you can have that come up in games but it's just a little underpowered compared to like this omnath crap that's going around yeah yeah i mean that's if you're just gonna play like a super fair mid-range deck based on creatures and like that gets card advantage by casting season pyromancer like you just don't have an omnath 
plan, really, I don't think. I mean, Blood Moon is good, but that's only one card and they can answer it. They've got Force of Negation and stuff. Yeah, it's it's really risky. I, I It's not bad enough that I would fault anyone for playing it. Like I could, like Burn, for instance. Mm-hmm. In a in a format where everyone's playing Uro and Omnath, burn is not something you really want to be sleeving up. <laughs> Much like when everyone was like jamming Oko in all of their decks. Mm-hmm. Red green has a lot, like some play to it, but it's just a little too underpowered compared to the rest of the format. And I would like to see, and it's not like there's a lot of it, but there's enough that I'm like, this seems odd to me. Yeah, I agree. I just it doesn't have anything that draws me to it, like. This is modern, and we are defined by very different power plays than we had even kind of recently, but certainly for, like, most of the life of modern. But it's still, like, you have to be doing something really strong, and Primeval Titan for Field of the Dead counts, and Scourge of the Skyclaves into Team or Battle Rage totally counts, and Omnath stuff counts. I love Glorybringer, but I don't think that really counts. Did you know Death of Taxes won another modern challenge? Yeah, and I would pref- I would rather play Death and Taxes in modern than red green right now. I like you you could more easily convince me to do that probably. I I actually think it is a fine deck, which yeah. I possibly said at no other point in history. Yep, I I think I agree. <laughs> It still does play Leon and Arbiter because that yeah. that card is actually really important to the deck, right? Uh, and really good against the Omnath stuff. Yep, so. really good against it, especially yeah. when like Omnath and Titan are like the main power cards people are doing. Mm-hmm. And Leon Arbiter is really good against all those. Yep, or serviceable at least. It, it's like a well, it's yeah, really hard to primeval Titan against Leon and Arbiter. <laughs> It's a stumbling block that allows you to get like your other bad cards into play. And if you have enough bad cards into play, you just mm-hmm. convert into damage to win the game. Yep. Love the first place list that played, you know, shamelessly for Leon and Arbiter, for Stoneforge Mystic. Yes. <laughs> because. Well, it... it's fine. You don't really need to search your library with Stoneforge Mystic because you've got three swords and a batter skull in here. So maybe you're just putting stuff in for free that you already had in your hand. Yeah, you're equally likely to draw any equipment and a Stoneforge Mystic. <laughs> yeah. And it's fine. Like The reason this deck has had a resurgence is because Skyclave Operation is so good. Yep. Like, your, your mono-white taxi deck was really bad against your opponent doing things because you only have Path to Exile, Thalia, and Leonard Arbiter. And mm-hmm. each of those cards answers very different things in mostly kind of effective ways. Yes. Skyclave Apparition answers everything, it, just a whole swath of permanence, in a really effective way. It just gets rid of it forever. Yeah. I've always kind of had a problem. Like, obviously, Thalia is very good and is good in this deck, but, like, Thalia in a deck that isn't that has a hard time killing you particularly quickly like just has a fundamental flaw to it i think yeah it's it's part of that mana denial aspect of the deck right yeah you want to try to combo thalia with leon and arbor right. to you know field of run them or ghost quarter them out so that they can't mm-hmm. cast spells 
And if you can't assemble the Leon Arbiter plus the Thalia, if you just have the Thalia, hopefully you've drawn like a Stoneforge Mystic or Flicker Wisp stuff to keep going. Yeah. Because Flicker Wisp is actually a pretty good damage source in modern. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's mostly like when they get two that you're like, oh crap, those are killing me really quickly. And they come out fast. Aether Vial is uh, one yeah. nice magic card. It is very good. And definitely Flicker Wisping Skyclave Apparitions is powerful as well. Oh, that's even true. Yeah. And you can flicker the tokens for, like, if it gets true. messy yeah. and all of a sudden your opponent has three threes and four fours in play, that your creatures are just very ill equipped to deal with because they're all small white creatures. <laughs> you can just get rid of them. Yep. I've seen a Yorion in this deck before. <laughs> uh, the first place list didn't have it, which I thought was really cute. But they played Limbala instead, which is like kind of a cool, not really finisher, but a, another nice disruptive creature with a big body. Oh, so you, you've seen a main deck Yorion. Yeah, a main deck Yorion. I have seen 80 card Death and Texas decks, but I think those are mostly I think that's memes. a mistake in an Aether Vile deck. I don't think that that is the right thing to do when the gap between your opening hands with Aether Vile in them and the hands without them is... I don't know, man. 10, 15 percentage points? Like, it's huge. It's gigantic. Especially yeah. with all these extra three drops in your deck with Skyclave Apparition, you really want to have the Aether Vile as early as right. you can. Apparition getting Viled in is so much better. It's it's a really, really powerful magic card when you're flashing it in in response to stuff or, or whatever you're doing with it. And not paying mana for it, main phase. <laughs> Honestly, for the first time in Modern's history, I'm not embarrassed to like lose to Death and Taxes. Yeah, no, I, th I think it's like pretty serviceable good against like the skyclave apparitions are a big deal against a lot of stuff including like patching you up against like prowess and things like that just taking out threats that could kill you and letting you lock up the game like it's a huge addition to the deck other uh, stuff in modern as a whole before i like go to a couple specific decks i want to talk about is that there's also just a bunch of random combo decks that still seem to be able to compete mm -hmm. uh, mostly ad nauseum uh, I thought sure. one one of the challenges, I believe, yeah, the, the second challenge that happened was won by Ad Nauseam. You see yeah. it placing rather consistently among the top decks. Uh, I think that's mostly because it's just trying to punch through what all the other decks are trying to do. Mm -hmm. It's not really trying to play a value game like Red Green mid-range is. It's just not that kind of deck. You're just trying to go over the top of everyone, even if they're yeah. trying to like Omnath time walk you. And if they're just playing the wrong kind of interaction, then they can't do anything to you. If it's an Uro deck that's just like loaded up on counter spells, like that doesn't beat ad nauseum. If it's an Uro deck with Teferi Time Raveler and some counter spells in it, then then they have a much better shot. But other than actual ad nauseum, you see some scapeshift decks, which are mostly the Omnath Uro decks. Mm -hmm. But I honestly think they're worse than the Time Walk version because, like we said earlier, Time Walk is just a one card combo. You don't have to make anything fancy out of it. Just yeah, cast and Scapeshift is dead for a lot of the game. Like, it is. It, where Time Walk is an awkward 5-mana spell, Scapeshift is an awkward 7-mana spell. So that's a big deal. And it screws up your mana base really badly. Like, it is very, very difficult to be a Scapeshift deck with Mystic Sanctuaries in it, so... And then there's the Belcher decks, like the uh, the new... I have no real lands in my deck decks. Yes. 
Uh, those are still exist. The only one that sees really any consistent play is the <clears throat> Undercity Informer one. Mm-hmm. The one that's uh, dumps a bunch of stuff into your graveyard and then uses Salvage Titan to like assemble a Vengevine kill. That's, that's yes. the only one people are really doing anything successful with. Though I wanted to point out a specific deck which I thought was super cool was the seventh place deck from the Modern Challenge on October 31st, Mm -hmm. which was a blue-white Belcher deck. And I call it a Belcher deck because it is a zero land, like a double-faced card land deck with four Goblin Shark Belchers in it. Okay. But it's also just like kind of a blue deck. You've got a bunch of Serum Visions and Teferi Time Ravelers with Disrupting Shoals, Force of Negation, and Jwari Disruption. Okay. With a wait, where what tournament is this from? This is the challenge, and it has like the backup kill of selective memory plus uh, Thassa's Oracle. Selective right. and selective memory is three and a blue sorcery. Search your library for any number of non-land cards and exile them. Then shuffle your library. So you just exile everything except for like a couple of a Thassa's Oracle or two, and then you win when you draw that card. Yeah, and and otherwise you just have. Counterspells, Cantrips, and Char Belcher with some mana and rocks. Yeah. Pentad Prism and Talisman of Progress. I guess you're mostly casting Char Belcher and hoping to untap with it. It's a little tough to get to seven mana. I mean, you got Spirit Guides, Pentad Prism, Talisman of Progress, but I bet a lot of games you just cast the Char Belcher and hope to untap with it. I, I think I think that happens a lot too. But unlike the the other Belcher decks where you're playing a bunch of unplayable garbage mm-hmm. and just trying to like high roll your way to a combo finish. This deck is it's got cantrips, it's got counter spells, it's got Teferi Time Ravelers, so it's more difficult to interact with. It's got a backup combo kill. It like had a lot of cool stuff going on with it. Yeah. Which... I I feel like the selective memory might actually be the primary combo kill in this deck. It, it might be, yeah. I'm not it's sure. It's like a little easier to game pull off. <laughs> yeah. It's just nice to see some like level of innovation on these chart belcher decks or mm-hmm. Thassa's Oracle deck or whatever you want to call it. Yeah. That's beyond what other people are doing with like all in combo decks all the time. Yeah. The fact that you are trying to actually cast spells during parts of this game, you know, you have real spells in Teferi Time Raveler and Serum Visions and stuff like that. You're not just you know, like the Undercity Informant decks just have mana rocks and then their win conditions and also thought seizes, basically. The fact that you have spells that you're trying to cast, in particular that Teferi Time Raveler is in the deck, is a little awkward because it means, as opposed to the Balustrade Spy Undercity Informant decks, which can just run all the bolt lands and always have untapped lands, this deck runs a lot of comes into play tap lands of the proper colors of white and blue. So that is, you know, you've only got the eight Amarius calls and Seagate restorations, and then most of your lands come into play tapped. Yeah, I think that's the big downside of this deck. Whereas like the downside of the Balastrite Spy deck was that, you know, if your opponent plays a Tormod script, it's like really hard to win. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> this deck doesn't really have that problem. It's got the problem of, like, they want to cast spells and most of their lands come to play tapped. Right. And that's that's a big cost. Yeah. In modern, like, I, I, you know, I just never want any land to come into play tapped ever in modern. So 
Well, you'll note that I didn't claim this wasn't still a Belcher deck. Like, those always have really high costs and rewards associated with them. Yes. Yeah, It's just a little different than the previous Belcher deck we looked at. I appreciate that in this deck, the Talismans of Progress are, like, the third most expensive card in the deck. Oh, that's true. It's like Force of Negation, Teferi Time Raveler, and then Talisman of Progress is where most of your money is going in this deck. Yeah, I guess Talisman of Progress just has never been reprinted, right? It's only on Mirrodin. Yeah, I guess so. God, I'm so glad I just had playsets of those. Like, (laughs) a set of those when I wanted to put them in my cube. Yeah. Anyway, that's kind of modern. Some some normal stuff running around. Still see uh, people with their decks winning a bunch. Like, uh... Mm -hmm. Matsugan on Neoform, one Tutu Pablo on Ascendancy, which is a name most people won't recognize. But if you ever look at any Goldfish tournament that's modern, he's always playing Jeskai Ascendancy, and he has always the <laughs> wildest lists. I know because I've played those lists, and I can't win a game. <laughs> that makes sense. But he always like top sixteens these events very well, regularly. He top seventeen to this one, but Breakers. It was Breakers. <laughs> wow, two Stormwing entities in this one. Ugh. Guess if you're running Manamorphos anyways, might as well. And then a good old Shock Troopa on Mono Blue Tron, a deck which I think everyone believes is unplayable. See, here's what happens with Mono Blue Tron. Your opponent goes Urza's Tower, and you go, oh no. And then they play Island, and you go, oh thank god. And then, seven turns later, you're like, wait, how the hell did I lose this game? And they've just cast, like, three Thirst for Knowledge, they've countered, like, four of your spells, and then they just have, like, a Worm Coil Engine or something in play, and you're dying to that. And you don't really understand how it happened, but you're dead, so, sorry. The the poignant difference between Mono Green and Mono Blue Tron, to me, is that, I mean, other than the obvious that Mono Green Tron is a Tron deck, and Mono Blue Tron is a Mono Blue deck. It's a Mono Blue Control deck, yeah. yeah. You you lose to an Ugin on turn four for Mono Green Tron. But you'll also lose to the Ugin on turn eight from the Mono Blue Tron. Like it's mm-hmm. the card's still incredible. Yes. <laughs> and they play a bunch of cards that do it, like Mindslaver and all that stuff too. Right. I it's a way more fun Tron deck than Mono Green Tron, for sure. It's just like how much do you value your and your opponent's time and like what do you enjoy doing with magic? And Definitely, Mono Green Tron is going to have a higher win rate in the vast majority of modern metagames. But, I don't know. Mono Blue Jeff definitely seems fun to play. For what it's worth, I think Mono Green Tron is in a horrendous place right now. Mm-hmm. Like, it's just outclassed by what everyone else is doing in, in different kind of ways. Especially since the uptick of Blood Moon and stuff to try and mm-hmm. counter up these Omnath decks is also having an effect on Tron. And then everyone's trying to like go over the top in mid-range control decks which yeah. tron's have never been particularly good against like it's really good when you play to use an analogy i actually used earlier today all the old tron decks had really really good matchups against the mana leak decks because you know they didn't kill you they killed you with celestial colonnade so they right. mana leaked your first car and liberated and you're like all right here's another one they countered that one and then the third one resolved and you killed them with it because they didn't right. get do anything or you play a couple extra turns and their mana leaks become force spikes, and that's not very good either. But nowadays, when people fly mana leak, they mana leak your car and liberated, 
then they play Omnath, and then Time Walk, and then it's just like, (laughs) (laughs) what? (laughs) Right. The fact that Time Walk just goes over the top of anything that Tron can be doing, as long as you Time Walk enough, then, I mean, that's a rough place for Tron to be in. I I mean, even Omnath do something, hold up Cryptic Command, is still just good enough to be Tron. Like, you don't don't Mm -hmm. need Mystic Sanctuary hurt Tron a lot because of that, too. Uh, It's just much harder to run out of resources yeah that's really true yeah omnath time warp like attack with my omnath play something for free on my free turn have a counter spell up like that's a pretty unbeatable sequence for tron if you didn't already have something in play that was winning you the game and because of that honor green tron's just not very playable right now so it would not surprise me if if you wanted to play tron lands maybe bottle blue is just better i could see it there are a number of mono green Tron lists on this, like, you know, in this challenge, like, there's a couple in the top 16, there's one in 20th place, like, you're still going to high roll people some amount of the time. Yeah. It's still very possible. The, the Tron strategy is still good, but I think it's more of a matchup lottery deck now, mm-hmm. where, you know, there's still people playing Jund in the low lower brackets of this tournament. Like, I think yeah. I saw one of the challenge had, like, two Jund decks in 29th and 20 eighth or something like that like those people are still playing jun and tron players can still play against them yeah and i think that you have to be like in pretty good shape against the titan decks that are not amulet decks like they're just putting zombies into play slowly like tron is pretty set up to beat that yeah that's true so that's like that's a good shift for Tron is is if that's what people are doing with their Titans, then you're pretty happy about that. Not as much Eldrazi Tron in this format though, which is the like, you know, big brother beating up on little brother sort of matchup that Tron loves to get. Yeah, Eldrazi Tron, I don't I might have just erased them all from my memory, or I just didn't see any at all when I was there's, looking through these lists. There's just not very many. It's just like I mean, Maze Mind Tome is a nice thing to have gotten, but it's, running a couple of those isn't enough to let it keep up with. Like, you're playing creatures, but, like, Omnath and Uro are just, like, you you won't win those combats. Like, those creatures are just better at being on the board than your creatures now. So A 4-4 four, four and a 6-6 six, six that costs somewhere between 2 and 6 mana or free? Yeah. Like, and, and Karn is not going to like let you win those fights in a meaningful way. So we need people to rise up and start playing the uh the core tapper tron. <laughs> hmm, I'm suspicious. I it's fine. Well, they'll figure something <laughs> out. Um yeah, so that's modern stuff. Uh I I think, you know, prowess is also still pretty defensible. Like yes, there's a lot of life gain in the other decks or in the omnath type decks but you know prowess stuff hits pretty hard and can just like be good basically um but i would probably play omnath turns if i were gonna you know play a modern tournament coming up just seems very powerful and has a lot of plans and your cards are all really expensive so you have to be doing something right yeah, of course. I mean, <laughs> it's 2020. You want to talk about Historic for just a second and then mostly use that as an excuse to transition into, like, member berries about Kaladesh cards that are coming back? Oh, yeah, I would love to talk about Kaladesh. So let's let's get Historic out of the way. Yeah. 
Alright, so Historic is mostly Sultai at this point. And whether that is Sultai or what gets categorized as four-color mid-range, but is literally just Sultai with two Yasharns main deck and two Yasharns in the sideboard, it doesn't really matter. This is just a mid-range deck with Thought Seizes and excellent block removal and Uros. Like, we've seen this type of deck a, a million, million times before, and it's very good, and it's the defining deck of Historic right now. Gruel is back because of the un... What's the list? What's the not ban list? Unsuspension? Oh, of... yeah. Well, I think, yeah, it was suspended, and now it's yes. not suspended. It's just right. legal now. It's unsuspended, I'm going to call it. Okay. The, yeah, I I guess they didn't really do that. It just, like, happened. There's a legality the list? A suspension list? I don't know what the list? default is when list? you hit, like, the time period. Anyways, uh, Burning Tree Emissary is back. That makes Gruel quite good. I was looking at these lists from the Red Bull Untapped Finals, which I watched uh, some of that stream, and it was a very cool event, but it was a... With only 16 players, there's, like, kind of not enough content to make it into, like, a whole real thing. And, like, it, it is really cool that they did it and they encouraged, like, restreams of it and stuff. And, and, and that was sweet. But, like, a tournament that size without some, like, pretty fancy structuring to get you a lot of matches, uh, I it, it felt a little thin on the ground to me. But... Looking at the historic lists, one thing that jumped out to me as something that I would encourage nobody to do ever was uh, Hoshiyuki's Gruel Aggro list, which just cuts two of the one drops from it. So most of the lists have four Llanowar Elves and four Pelt Collectors, and this just has four Llanowar Elves and two Pelt Collectors. Um, Don't do that please like i'm i'm kind of begging you not to do that i get that pelt collector is not a great draw after your opening hand but like there's three ways that you win with this deck and that's if you start with lanor elves or if you start with pelt collector or if you have a great burning tree emissary turn on turn two you need one of those things to happen or this deck is bad so give yourself the ability to start with Pell Collector if if you don't have the other things in your hand. That's fair. I I'm really sad they unbanned, unsuspended, the emissary. I just don't like that card's existence. I think it's pretty fine given the power level of historic. Like it is what's allowing an aggressive deck to exist right now. But hopefully, some of the Kaladesh additions will encourage mono red mages to to sleeve up their historic decks to pick up their mountains yeah i mean there's like uh ramy ruins is still legal and if you're monocolored you get to make like really good use of the various spell land types of things that we now have in the format whether that's ramy ruins or double face lands like you don't have to worry about your colors of mana you just get to play the number of spell lands that you think is appropriate so that's nice and in kaladesh we are getting some good mono red cards uh in particular bomat courier i think is probably the biggest deal given the like power level of the format and the need for good one drops but you're also getting like carries of pianalar and chandra torch of defiance which have all been very good 
at doing various things for for that type of deck. Are you are you cheating? Are we already jumping ahead to Kaladesh? Yeah, I, that's all I wanted to talk about with historic. Like, what else is going on in that? Who knows? Historic exists. <laughs> I haven't played it in a while. It's very hard to get deck lists from. It is impossible to get deck lists from it. Like, the six O lists are not compelling. <laughs> Oh, that's putting it generously. <laughs> uh, for reference, Watsi le- releases some 6-0 ladder lists on very loose criteria. I, I don't know what they are. I mean, there's a page that like explains it, but it is supposed to be basically like, if you 6-0 on ladder in Platinum or Mythic, and you are... You have to be 55 cards distinct or whatever, same as with the deck dumps, then you get listed. But because of the way ladder works, like when I'm laddering, I unless I like have something really dialed in, like I'm changing my list every couple of matches no matter what. So that would knock me out of the ability to 6-0. And I think that that and I, I don't know like all of the factors that go into it, but I don't think that all, we're getting all of the lists that are doing well on ladder certainly and it's like really hard to pick out a a sample of like what is like how many of each type of thing is actually doing well it has that same problem that the deck dump does and so yeah it's it's just not like a very useful resource and a lot of them just can't have gone six (laughs) oh like (laughs) no offense to deck pilots and i mean that sincerely because i saw one that someone linked on twitter the other day uh, and actually, I think this was a couple weeks ago. There's just 60 planes. 60 planes. You can't tell me that went 6-0. Okay, yeah. So there's some bug in their, their code that's picking up these lists, for sure. And, and I, ever since I saw that, and honestly, even before that, I just couldn't take these decks seriously. Hmm. And without that, my knowledge of historic format is just very dry. Yeah, I mean, I think the only thing to do is to get in there and do some do some laddering to really learn it. But I do think that the situation right now is Sultai slash four color is kind of the best thing that you can be doing. It has a lot of really good answers. The like biggest threat decks in the format are like Rakdos or maybe Jun Sacrifice and also Goblins. But Yasharn is so good against either of those decks that they get like pretty shut down there by the decks that are running four Yasharns in their 75. And there's some aggro, mostly in the form of gruel, and then you know there's obviously going to be a lot of different stuff because it's a relatively big format, and on the ladder you never know what you're going to run into. But I think the format is probably ready for some fresh cards at this point. Then let's talk some Kaladesh. Yeah. So I just kind of like went through and found the cards that like made a a huge splash and are coming in. An important thing to note is cards that are not making it in, which is anything that was banned in Pioneer, they did not put into Kaladesh Remastered. So we're not getting Smuggler's Copter, Felidar Guardian, or unfortunately Walking Ballista. Did they did they state that in, like intentionally? Like they just chose not to put any cards that were banned in Pioneer? In yeah, that's what I read somewhere. <sighs> that makes Walking Ballista's ban in Pioneer even more offensive to me. Yeah, it's, it is like one of the more painful things that I've had to deal with coming from them. I hate this band so much. So when Walking Blister was banned in Pioneer, we said, I mean, I get it. You want to get rid of the, all the combos and you 
want to break up the Heliod walking ballista combo, right? But just ban Heliod. Walking Ballista yeah. is a fine card that's like really good and feels good to play with. Heliod is a garbage card that no one likes. Yes. I, I And as a person who's played like a bunch of Heliod when it was a thing that you could be doing, but like Walking Ballista is one of my favorite magic cards ever. And it's never been a problem card except that it was half of a combo. And it just sucks that it's like, it got banned because Iliad was still in print, and then now in historic, like it is banned because Iliad is in print, and so like two formats where Walking Ballista would be a good, useful, important but not oppressive card, like we just don't have it. Lame. It's okay, Chris. You've got you've got Heliod. <laughs> yeah, great. <laughs> I'll just I'll just play some mono white decks in historic. That'll really really get my juices flowing all right that, that's your thing <laughs> i'm also a little sad that felidar guardian was banned instead of like so they just didn't print felidar guardian instead of uh sahili right sahili but right but felidar is... guardian is like a way more useful card than sahili is <laughs> yeah we, we've seen how much yorion people are playing like can you imagine mm-hmm. yorion felidar guardian Ooh, <laughs> that would be too good but <laughs> It is, like, one of those cards that can see play because its effect is good. So, I don't think Yorion Felidar Guardian would be too good because it only really works in one order. Like, Felidar Guardian blinking your Yorion is great. It gives you an extra full Yorion turn. But Yorion blinking Felidar Guardian doesn't really do anything because all your stuff is gone and your Yorion blinks immediately, right? Or I guess... Well, no, I guess, yeah, it Every, comes back. The Felidar you... Guardian comes oh, back. Oh, yeah, actually, turn. yeah, it would just be a Charming Prince type thing, basically. Okay, yeah, that would be very good. But, yeah. But, I mean, it's a Charming Prince effect on a format card. Right. Which is probably fine. Probably fine. Sahili, I would be shocked if it saw, like, play in, a, in like, any kind of real deck. Yeah, Sahili has never done anything except for been part of the combo. And maybe there's, like, some weird sculpting steel because that card is in the set for some reason fit like combo i'm fine i like sculpting steel it is really weird to have one new card or one like non-kaladesh card put in there that is a very strange decision and to make it sculpting steel like it feels very random Uh, it was a masterpiece so it feels less random to me than like collected company and omencart remastered which i still think is complete uh malarkey right yeah you just put a format defining card in a set that like has nothing to do with it like oh remember when we played Amonkhet and collected company was in standard what what are you talking about (laughs) i don't oh it was it a masterpiece no what (laughs) what are we doing here (laughs) another card another important card that was excluded from kaladesh remastered renegade freighter Never have to just lose to that on turn three in this limited format. But you know what you can lose to on turns two and or five in this limited format? What's that? A long tusk cub or a rich scale tusker. Yeah, rich scale tusker is kind of egregious. But yeah, rich I scale mean, tusker is unbeatable. <laughs> yes. This is a five mana five five that just puts a plus one plus one counter on your guys when it comes into play. Completely ridiculous at uncommon. Uh, not an okay card. Especially because there is a, a token Z theme in this set. A counter theme, like, yeah. yeah. I mean, there's a counter theme that 
yeah, I can work with your counter stuff, but also with fabricate, like you easily, like if you want to, you can just end up with like four servos into play. And then this comes into play and gives you six plus one plus one counters and is a five, five. And then it's just so gross. Ugh. Rich Scale yeah. Tusker is very difficult to beat. It's like a, kind of like a rare or a mythic. Well, it's just Verderous Gear Hulk at Uncommon and Limited. <laughs> That's true. But we're getting but, a lot of yeah. cool Kaladesh cards to come in. Yeah. Uh, I mean, number one like thing that probably attracts the most attention immediately is the entire energy suite, including Etherworks Marvel and just all of the energy cards that we're defining in standard for their entire legality. Um, and apparently Ulamog is legal and historic so you can you can roll into that can relive your glory days of turn four aetherworks marvel into ulamog maybe that's good enough for historic that's probably good enough for historic it's gotta be right i i think so but i don't know the energy cards are a little on the slow side in powerful formats yeah they are they have not held up certainly in the transition like pioneer the energy stuff does not hold up so, and and Historic is pretty powerful, I would say. Especially, you know, the energy cards did not have to deal with battling through Uro. That wasn't a thing that they needed to do. Like, you ground out more value because all your cards came with a little extra, but Uro is a different ballgame entirely. Yeah, you're nickeling and diming with your extra Thopter token here and there with your right. Warlord Virtuoso, and then your opponent just casts Uro. <laughs> Right, and, and that was, like, in, in grindy games, a lot of times, like, you wouldn't really use that much energy, and then you'd hit one of your payoffs for it, and it might be Whirler Virtuoso, and it's like, great, I get to make five Thopters. And it's like, that literally doesn't matter if they have Uro going. Like, that, you're not getting an advantage over, I've drawn an extra card for the past two turns, and I'm going to keep doing it every turn, and also attack you with the 6-6 six, six and gain three life. But... If you high roll with the Marvel part of it, like with Ulamog, you probably yeah. be with Uro. That'll do it. Yeah. So, probably that is what energy needs to be doing to succeed as being a Marvel deck. And is there any other way to, like, cheat Ulamogs in? Like, use the Ulamogs that you draw? Like, because it sucks drawing 10 mana cards. And so, like, you know, the Marvel decks had stuff like Chandra in them to help. Wait, did that Chandra let you? That Chandra let you discard cards to draw cards. Are you talking right? about six one... mana Chandra Flamecaller? Yes. Yeah. Chandra yes. Flame it, it, it was yeah. a wheel effect. Yeah. Yeah. So like, there were ways to get the Ulamogs out of your hand. So I wonder, because you got to play a lot of Ulamogs. You got to play all the Ulamogs to give yourself the best chance of rolling into them. So you're going to draw them a lot. So the deck is going to need a plan for that maybe there's cards printed you know dominaria forward that i'm not thinking about that could go into that kind of give you something to do with your cards you can't really use i would have to Mm -hmm. kind of look at what the format is nothing really comes to mind yeah Hmm. i guess one card came to mind but it's very bad it's the (laughs) uh the quicksilver amulet from dominaria lets you put in a historic permanent oh sure (laughs) (laughs) yeah but that card's you don't want to be playing that in your Marvel deck anyway. Yeah, I mean, I would rather just have some sort of like card filtering thing, like playing Champion of Wits or something like that. You know. Yeah, yeah, I think so too. Other stuff we've got Heart of Kieran, 
I don't know that that is going to be at a high enough power level for historic. It it filled a pretty weird spot in that standard, which was just enabling this, a vehicle that helped enable this weird mid-range, aggressively slanted deck that let it sort of adapt and was good at whatever size the deck chose to be at any particular matchup. And that is a type of strategy that I think is des- doomed to failure in a world of Uro and Omni- or uh, in a world of Uro. That's that's fair. I well, I like Card of Karen quite a bit mm-hmm. because it felt like it was like good good sized enough where it could see play and even like mono green decks with Steel Leaf Champion or Ronus or something like that. Mm-hmm. Where you can just use Ronus to crew a bunch and get your tax in and make you inherently resilient to wrath effects. That may be where it's good, is in a mono green deck. It, it, like, it may be the thing that allows a mono green deck to work in Historic. I could see that. Yeah, I, I don't think we'll see, like, the red-black chain whirler kind of decks with Heart of Karen Because no. I, I, that's just not, that's too small ball for what we're doing now. But right. if we're trying to use Heart of Karen as, like, fixing a, a hole in your game plan, like mono green has, I think mm-hmm. that's where it could be useful. Yeah. I mean, mono green does already have ways of being okay against wrath like mostly collected company is is your best option there but this could be a different route and one of the things that it did was be a really good way to make ronus good like can turn on ronus or allow ronus to be useful by crewing it when it's not turned on and ronus is like a pretty decent card but i don't know if it's good enough for historic i, I don't know how the best way of building a mono green deck would be it's it's something our mono green mono green mages will have to get in the trenches and find out you can go burning tree emissary into heart of kirin but burning tree emissary doesn't quite crew heart of kirin on its own so that's a little less elegant than i would hope for well if burning tree emissary was three two or three one it would be that'd be very good (laughs) a little silly (laughs) i agree i'm kind of excited for electrostatic pummeler this is also an energy card but it's kind of its own monster it's an all energy card yeah even more so uh, than Marvel. there's better ways of giving it double strike and trample now than there were the first time around so i think that like if you really want to all in and play some electrostatic pummeler stuff y- you can are you thinking of like ember cleave I mean, Evercleave is certainly a possibility. These decks aren't great at getting out, like, a lot of creatures, but, like, Embercleave in an Electrostatic Pummeler deck that's maybe not super all-in on Electrostatic Pummeler, but, you know, just has energy aggressive cards in it. Like, that could be pretty cool. I could be into that. Cause you get... It's definitely the best card that gives those abilities. Yeah, you get Voltaic Brawler and Lathnohelion if you want it. Mm-hmm. Which are both like reasonable attackers. Yeah. I assume Life Nihilians in the set. I can't imagine why it would be taken out. Well, yeah, they definitely had to remove some marginal cards, and that one is slightly marginal. That's the energy ball lightning ish card. Yeah, it's a it's a four four. Yeah, it's a four four. Oh my but god, Life Nihilian is not in the set? What? Brutal. I searched for Lathnu and I got Lathnu Sailback, which is a 5 mana 5 4 with no abilities. <laughs> but no Lathnu Hellion. That's so weird. Okay. Um, 
Yeah, to be determined if Electrostatic Bumbler has what it takes. But I was actually thinking a little bit more like, you know, Raking Claws is a card that gives double strike and you can cycle it when it's not good. Like, that's better than anything that we had before with Electrostatic Pummeler. But obviously, Embercleave is just an actually good magic card that if you can make that work, then that's a great combo. You know, one card I'm excited for yeah. is Hope of Gearifer. Oh yeah, I thought you might that's, be. That's the one, you know? We've got Emery. Emery, Teferi, wait, no. <sighs> you can't get the full lock, yeah. But I really liked Hope of Gearifer for Kethistex when I get to play that. Mm-hmm. Because it just locked your opponent out of any relevant interaction. And yeah. was another one mana artifact. That yep. reduces cost down to zero when you have Kethis in place. So you could like loop that along with your Ambers to like get to Ambers if you had two Dungeon Excavators. Uh, it's like yep. a and Shadow Spear is just like bad because it does the same thing. But Hope of Gearper has an actual effect on the game, right. where it protects yes. you from doing your thing. It lets you do your thing, and Shadow Spear doesn't do anything. Yes. Yeah. No. It, it's a huge addition to those decks. And Kethis, I just had to look up to make sure that it was legal in historic. Only banned in Pioneer has not been banned yet in historic. So we can still we can still make that work. And I'm way more excited to try to make it work with Hope of Gearipper available to it. We also could maybe do Hope of Gearipper with uh God Pharaoh's gift as well. That's that's a thing that exists in historic. That's true. That's something I have done briefly in pioneer or as well yeah <laughs> before that format kind of developed at all well i mean you got to try stuff out and godfair's gift yeah. is a really strong card and it gets yep. hope of gerper and walk and hope of gerper mm. that's it yeah. <laughs> <laughs> i am just so bummed that like walking ballista has died so hard for heliod's sins here <laughs> like come on man yeah we're, we're going to come back to, like, every other card on the list and just be like, and Walking Blist is so great here with, man, come on. <laughs> like, can't we just get rid of Heliod? Who likes playing with that card? It's just not an addition to the format in any way. SRAM is also getting reprinted. Auras is actually one of the decks that, it, you know, it's like a tier 1.5-ish deck in Historic anyways. And I think SRAM is probably... I have to assume a very good addition to the blue-white auras deck. Well, considering black-white auras is so good in Pioneer, or like mm-hmm. good enough in Pioneer, it's like a, a reasonable deck, especially at certain times. And Sram's mm-hmm. a big part of consistency for that deck. Mm-hmm. I imagine it has to do the same thing in yeah. Historic. Yeah, yeah, I assume so. So, And that that is a way to juke around like uro type stuff is playing an auras deck that just like doesn't care about the value that they're going to grind out over a long game you just play resilient stuff uh the ones that i've seen have been you know they've had protective stuff like the the one mana dog uh selfless savior and uh some creatures that are naturally resilient to the removal that people play like a danto vanguard and then you just, like, stack auras on something and hope they get there. And since a lot of the removal people are playing is stuff like Blood Chief's Thirst and Eliminate, uh, they can. So, and uh, Selfless Savior protects SRAM. That's a pretty solid, like, turn one into turn two into start sma- slamming auras onto the table. So, I can see it. The next card on your list, I think, has aged more poorly than the rest. Yeah. 
I know. This was a heavy, heavy hitter back in its days of standard. Mm-hmm. It's Torrential Gear Hulk. <laughs> but nowadays, Chris, Mystical Dispute exists. Yeah, that's brutal. You can't really cast six mana blue spells. And Uro safely. outsizes it. It's just... <laughs> yeah, it is just one power too little to even fight the Uro. It wouldn't even be a good exchange if it could fight it, but... It's just a little... It's just a little worse than it used to be. I know. And the, you know, the main thing that I want to try to do with it is Sublime Epiphany, but Sublime Epiphany shares that mystical dispute problem pretty... Like, how many six-mana blue spells are you planning on putting in your deck where Mystical Dispute is, like, the most heavily played sideboard card in the entire metagame? Uh, Almost in the uh, entire Magic the Gathering. (laughs) Yes, that's very true. So we probably are not really excited to be playing a bunch of six mana blue spells in our deck even if they are instants that only takes one mana to hold up mystical dispute it's so easy to hold up one mana so easy yep i am excited for chandra torture defiance it's one of my favorite cards i don't know if it'll be good but i will probably try to play it some i mean it has to at least see sideboard play and gruel right like the card is just so good yeah and not in a so good the way Omnath and Uro are. It's like what we used to refer to cards is so good. Like <laughs> Right, exactly. It is so good when you're a creature deck and your opponent is wrathing you and then you get to slam a Chandra the turn after the wrath. Like it's good in matchups and circumstances, not just like universally crazy powerful. Which, you know, on reading the spoiler for that card, everybody thought it was going to be crazy powerful. And then it even took a minute to catch on. But then it was a defining card for standard. So I, when Chandra Torture Defiance was previewed, it was, I think, the only other four ability Planeswalker yeah. since Jace the Mind Sculptor. Yeah. And I'm like, wow, this card is nuts. I'm going to pre-order a bunch. And I just pre-ordered a playset because that's a bunch to me. Mm. And I overpaid for them at the time. But, you know, by the end of the format, I had underpaid for them. <laughs> yeah, it came back around, yeah. yeah. Now, I registered four Chandras, like, plenty of times in that format, oh, honestly. I did as well. Yeah, the card, I got a lot of use out of my Chandras. They still have them. Yeah, super important part of, you know, we had a couple of kind of one-deck metas in its lifetime, and it was an important part of both of them, both Teamer Energy and Red Black. Played a lot of Chandras in those things. Winding Constrictor, I'm afraid, is not going to be a playable card. I mean, we have a Winding Constrictor already in Historic. And it's not playable. Yeah. it does, <laughs> And it's in better better colors for that effect, too. Yep, better colors, and it even has an extra ability of life gain. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't have the third toughness, which... There's some amount of shocks in the format and stuff, but uh, it probably doesn't really matter <laughs> that much. It doesn't really matter. Uh, Fatal Push does matter, though. Yeah, Fatal Push is huge. Like, Bloodsheath's Thirst is a widely played card right now in Historic. Mm-hmm. Fatal Push is just almost... I mean, you can't compare them, really, because Bloodsheath's Thirst does have the kick mode. Yeah. But Fatal Push being an instant is so good. Yeah. So, so the, good. The being on the draw and being able to catch your opponent's two-drop with your turn one mana is, like... That was actually a thing that I hated in that standard format is you felt so awful playing a two drop against your opponent's untapped black mana when you were on the play. You just felt like all of your tempo from being on the play just went down into a black hole and you would kind of like never recover from that. And that's also why Heart of Kirin was so good too, right? 
because they mm-hmm. had because it could not get fatal pushed that turn yeah. yeah it was a two drop that couldn't get fatal pushed that turn so they had to like yeah. leave it open again yeah so that is the instant on the instant speed on fatal push is a huge upgrade in certain matchups revolt is you know it's got the pioneer problem of like we remember this card is so good because it's so good in modern but we don't have fetch lands revolt is significantly harder to trigger in these formats yeah it's mostly just gonna be fabled passages and uro's leaving the battlefield for the first time yeah but the the sequence of uro put in a black source fatal push something is fine if you need to that's completely acceptable like that's a good full use of a turn like you feel good when you've pulled that off you've done things with all your mana and not fallen behind on tempo any anything else kaladesh tickles your fancy i know the only Um, new card from it is sculpting steel which i don't think has any real impact on the format it's never done anything outside of like commander right like that's not a a, like a real magic card no it's just too inbred like if you've got an artifact in play artifacts are a really vulnerable card type so well and most of them don't do anything (laughs) yeah exactly uh there's scrap heap scrounger that's a cool card that's just like a, a good rate creature I mean, if anything makes Sculpting Steel do something, uh, Scrap Trawler is probably the thing that, like, goes along with it. Scrap Trawler is a card that is just, like... Not actually good without KCI, yes, I'm aware. No, I wasn't going to say that. It's (laughs) because you can play it in a lot of convoluted combo setups, especially with Mox Amber Mm -hmm. and Historic cards from Dominaria. Mm -hmm. The problem is that (laughs) Scrap Trawler encourages these decks that are so convoluted and like really <laughs> insular that they generally just don't work. <laughs> yes, that is probably true. The exception to that was KCI. And I can still describe that deck as just a really complicated insulate, uh, whatever yeah. I just described it as. <laughs> right. And it just happened to be extremely powerful because KCI is a busted magic card. Yeah. Yeah probably the functionality of scrap trawler is just like kind of worse than kethis but i wonder if there's something that can be done with it Uh, there'd have to be more artifact synergy stuff like that's the thing scrap trawler has always been good at is mostly Mm -hmm. getting value off of your artifact cards right so when scrap there's not actually a lotus petal in this set no like if you can play like a side deck with scrap trawler, like maybe you can get somewhere, but that seems again kind of yeah. convoluted and right too small ball in a format with Uro in it. Right. While you're busy like making thopters and stuff, then they just like draw cards, put lands into play, kill your side, get through your thopters. Like it's not a big deal. Like don't get me wrong, I love scrap trawler. It's one of my favorite cards of all time. Yeah yeah but but it just needs specific tools it is a zero or a 100 and there's no in between (laughs) i was very i mean i didn't think that there was actually a lotus petal in the set but in the spoiler there absolutely was just a card named ethereum cell and i'm aware that the tezzeret makes ethereum cell tokens but it was just in the spoiler with a mana cost of zero on it just like looking like a lotus petal and it was such a weird thing for them to have done. I just kind of, you know, there was a possibility that they just like went completely nuts and put a Lotus Petal in the set. 
See, I I don't think they're going to do that because right. if Flame Tongue Kavu was too powerful for Historic, how could they put <laughs> Lotus Petal into it? What? Yeah, but like Flame Tongue Kavu was too powerful, but they just put Muxus into Historic. I mean, that's fair. Lotus Petal is clearly more powerful than every other card in Historic, though. Yeah, I mean, it's defined by what you can do with it, and in Historic, you could do plenty with it, so... Especially with Scrap Trailer, huh? Yeah, or Emery, or whatever. Like, playable zero-mana artifact, like, on its own, is, like, really, really powerful, given the existence of Emery and stuff like that. But Lotus Petal, in particular, would be pretty wild. I was more... When that broke out, when people were like, why is Lotus Petal in the set? I just assumed people didn't know that it was a token made by Tezzeret the Schemer because Tezzeret the Schemer is like largely unplayable. Yes. And just no one yeah. knows what the card does. So I'm like, oh, they probably just don't realize it's a token. <laughs> yeah, and I knew it was a token, but it was the putting a mana cost onto it that really, you know, made me not 100% sure of what they were doing here. That's fair. I, I kind of do want to shout out uh, Wizards of the Coast for... Uh, so they did this for the last remastered set, and they did it for this one too, where they just recommissioned art by uh, problematic mm-hmm. magic artists. Yeah. So Prophetic Prism, it was one of the cards in Kaladesh, and that that had new art attached to it for this set, and they got Valera Blutfulina to do it. I don't. I, sorry if I mispronounced that. I've not heard of this artist before, but the the art they gave for Prophetic Prism is really good. Yeah, it's cool. I also appreciate that for Amonkhet, where they like redid Rest in Peace and Anger of the Gods, like mm-hmm. to give it Amonkhet art, which is like yes. two cool things they did at one time. Yeah, definitely. And those cards in particular, like, really worked within the world of Amonkhet. <laughs> Collected Company is more <laughs> questionable. Yeah, I I don't know about that one. Like, I guess they had to give due art to the uh, the dual and the red white one, the full art one. In um, not inspiring vantage, but the pathway, needle verge, pillar verge. Yeah, they had to give that new art magic arena, which I, I like mm-hmm. that they're just not printing magic art for arena if if they can help it. I think that's like a cool right. call out. Yeah, no reason to. Yeah, um, yeah, I don't know. I I don't have anything else in particular from Kaladesh that I wanted to talk about. We can shout out the lands because. Uh, a, I, I guess I have a couple of things to say with the lands. The the fast lands are just really good. Yeah, that's true. They're incredible for the format, and I think Wizards should immediately print Historic Anthology to the other five in the set. Because <laughs> I hate unbalanced mana bases. I mean, ha- if we have them in Historic and don't have them in Pioneer, that's just another, like, man, why does... what is Pioneer even doing out here? I mean, Pioneer doesn't have Phyrexian Tower, so... <laughs> It's fine. <laughs> and I'm Got also it. likely going to just make the Kaladesh lands my my default basics of choice because I really enjoy a lot of the basics in Kaladesh. It's one of my favorite like art styles of all the Magic mm-hmm. planes. I like really like the Swirly River Island and the uh, yeah. There's some cool stuff. The there. planes that has all the clouds on it. I really like those too. Yeah. So we're getting some stuff. Yeah. I I like actually almost forgot about the fast lands but that is actually like i mean probably the biggest deal the biggest addition to the format 
and inventors fair and scruff spire industry yeah i don't know what artifacts we're playing in this format but well i know what artifacts i'll be playing in my casual decks with forsaken monument and inventors fair <laughs> i'm just saying it's only a matter of time before i have all those cards on arena and i will be playing with them sure that that, that sounds like what you would be doing i'm i'm have no doubts I mostly just want to play some Bomat Couriers again. I love that card. I like that card too. It's just a. It's just you know. It doesn't fulfill my gameplay urge of just going very big. Yeah. Oh no, absolutely not. It is the opposite of that for sure. But Raging Goblin that draws you like three or four cards is like, that's a nice card. It it is a good card. One of my favorite parts of designing my cube was getting to add all these like little artifacts that had different roles that mm-hmm. were like pretty good but not yeah. really haymakers and bowman courier mm-hmm. and scrap troller are both two of those cards where they're just mm-hmm. like pretty good at what they do but because it's limited you can like put other cards around them that you're not used to seeing and it's like it plays out pretty nice i think right right you don't have to make your average mana cost like 1.5 in your cube deck with bowman courier in it like you can use it as a like, you can put it in a blue-red deck and then just use it as a refill after you've interacted. A bunch. Like, you can do cool things with it. Oh, Kaladesh. One of my favorite blocks of all time. Unpopular opinion, but I, I did really like that. those two sets. I mean, there was some busted stuff in there, but, like, looking back, it's like, what do we... Why, like, why did this even bother us? <laughs> I mean, I also, I also really like Thrall of Eldraine, but that set is wildly <laughs> a joke. <laughs> For sure. Yeah, so do we have a Patreon question, or... Oh, I can find one. There was one about... Here, let me, let me pull it up. So, Liquid Jeans asks, Out of all the decks you've ever played with, what one stood out to you the most as being overpowered compared to the rest of the format, and why? Yeah, so my answer is pretty boring. Like... I, I did feel a lot of the time that I was like way ahead of the format and and doing more powerful stuff when I was playing Phoenix, but since KCI was legal for pretty much that entire time, like I definitely didn't feel like I was more broken than the rest of the format playing Phoenix. Like you were the fair deck, uh, but so my answer is probably just Teamer Energy, which was also like a fair deck, but it was in standard and it was just doing everything better than all of the other decks in the format. Like you were really a better aggro deck than the aggro deck. You had a lot of value going long game and you could juke when they were playing a deck that was like supposed to beat you. You usually would actually beat them post board pretty badly with like, because they were usually beating you with something that negates beat. So the deck was just really good, and if if you had the right build on any given weekend, you just felt so much better than everything. Like, it just felt silly playing against non-mirrors, and I felt good every time somebody led on something that was not, like, Spire Bluff Canal or Attune with Ether. so. I, I have a lot of different answers to this question, because I have played a lot of uh, exploratory decks in my time uh i'll just do recent history i think yeah so 
one of the decks I felt was like the most powerful that no one had really caught on to yet was in standard with rivals of on standard was the the blue red valve heroes gift deck i've talked about it a little bit before mm-hmm. but i started brewing that deck like right when fanatical firebrand came out and i had really bad versions for a very long time but i really liked <laughs> playing it because the combo of god pharaoh's gift combat celebrant make a bunch of attack steps they died was like really appealing mm-hmm uh, and eventually I got it to the point where, and other people had like started brewing with it. So I was able to just like steal their ideas and incorporate it into my own stuff. Sure. <laughs> and I, the one tournament I, the one like actual, cause this was at a point where standard was maligned by the community. We just come off of a couple of bad standards in a row and no one was really playing it. So there weren't any like really local tournaments I could play in. Star City Games didn't have any standard tournaments at the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I played in one IQ. And I went undefeated at it. <laughs> and no one had ever seen the deck before. And everyone was playing like Grixis Energy and Winding Constrictor decks. And I was smashing everyone. And it wasn't even sure. close. Yeah, yeah. You're just playing on a very different axis that's just like once you get to turn four or five like the game just ends and and since people hadn't seen the deck before their only understanding of what to do was they win with an artifact i must have a braid which didn't work because i could just play around the one card i knew that everyone had in their deck yeah you just waited until five mana played the the thing and then you're good (laughs) Like, you could play a multiple, uh, two copies if you wanted to. Like, it, there's a lot of different ways to play around a parade because it was, a, like, one of the better cards in the format. So, obviously, you're going to Right. Well, it. your your deck is full of creatures, and then, like, starting around turn... Like, even if you don't have the gate to the afterlife, like, you, you keep playing creatures, and then you get to, like, turn five, and if they're going to play around you just playing gate and getting gift, like, they just have to hold up two mana for the rest of the game. Yep. And that's not going to work. And they're all, like, kind of slow, anemic Grixis decks, mostly, which are ill-equipped to dealing with, like, Minister of Inquiries and Fanatical Firebrand <laughs> Bill Matt Courier beatdowns. It's just, like, right. not something the deck is equipped to handle. <laughs> yep. So they're just, like, <laughs> leaving open a braid, take three, another card under Bowman Courier. I guess I'll leave open a braid the next turn, too. Take another right. three. And, and then eventually you just walk your card into a braid so that you can crack Bowman Courier and have five fresh cards, including another Gate to the Afterlife. So, And one of the cool things about the deck I really liked doing was once you had, like, three or four cards under Bowman Courier, you could cast Trophy Mage to go grab another Gate to the Afterlife. And then you could check your deck to see like very briefly what cards that were important enough like another uh god pharaoh's gift you could see how many of those were under bowman courier yeah. by just checking your deck <laughs> that was one of the decks i felt like i was like really ahead of the curve on uh there's sure. a couple more in modern that i've had uh kci was one of those yeah, where definitely. you know i just played it for a very long time Eventually, Matt Nass won a bunch of GPs, <laughs> and I also won a bunch uh, locally, and it, it was nice. It was one of those time periods where I wish I could have had more time off work at the time so I could play in more tournaments with the deck, but that's just not where I was then. 
I was listening back to this podcast with the Collins episodes of that time period, like kind of recently, uh, cause I wanted to just clear my podcast cache and they were like unplayed episodes for some reason of episodes I've already listed to. So anyway, uh-huh. I went back from like the latter period of 2018 when KCI was like, to me, very clearly the best deck. Mm-hmm. And it was funny listening to you and Collins go back and talk about it because y'all would sometimes just ignore it some episodes talking about the best decks in modern. And other times you'd be like, you know, MKCI might be good. You know, if you're okay with it, it's probably worth playing. And then, you know, okay. three weeks later, you're like, okay, so this deck probably needs to get banned. <laughs> and it just hadn't changed at all. <laughs> it's just the same 75 cards. Well, it took people actually doing something with it to show us. And and I'm right there, like, in the same state, playing the deck. I, I went to, like, four four weeks in a row. I dropped one match in four different tournaments. And you're just there with me. And you're like, yeah, Casey is probably fine. I don't know, though. This Humans deck, it's pretty cool. Humans was pretty good. It was. It was not KCI. No, it was not. And Humans has not managed to get a single card banned out of that deck. <laughs> and I also felt really far ahead of the field uh, with multiple different Urza decks that I had played. Mm-hmm. Where, you know, right at the tail end of Hogak, about to be banned, it felt like the Urza deck was really powerful and no one had really played it yet other than Harlan, pretty much. Mm-hmm. Where that deck was like really, really strong and it could actually compete with Hogak. And then right after Hogak got banned, uh, the early versions of that deck were kind of whatever, but I had been playing it, so I felt like I was ahead on that as well. And Urza ended up being like very good in that format. And then the when Zan and Co, Abe mostly, uh, Abe Corrigan, was doing the mm mid-range urza deck with oko and emery yeah. and goose and all that yeah. uh the weekend that zan did his first version of that deck i was actually also playing like an independent similar version where i was also doing gilded goose oko mm-hmm. emery stuff uh in the same like regional zan had started doing that that stuff yeah did you were you off paradoxical outcome at that point yeah completely off okay yeah yeah I actually never, I played one tournament with Paradoxical Outcome, hated it, sure. and then did started doing like mid-rangers and stuff, because it was like better and more consistent. And I also, yep. that like first version I played, uh, that in that regionals, was not as good as Zan's version. I was playing white instead of black for Spellqueller, and it just was not as good. Right. But I still felt like I was on a really good track, and it ended up being like the best deck in the format, not close at the end of that. Right, definitely. Yep, turns out Goose, Oko, Urza, just a solid, and, and Opal, just a solid core of cards. Doesn't super matter the rest of the stuff in there, but y- you can figure the rest out as you go. Yep. I There's like been a multiple points where I've been lucky enough to like I always gravitate towards the decks that play on a a wilder axis or kind of a weirder angle. 
And those mm-hmm. are typically the decks in Magic that do have an edge for some time. Yeah. Yeah. Because it, it is, like, people just don't really catch on to it. It is not the easiest thing to do. And it only really happens in bigger formats like Modern where you can get some pretty complex and gnarly interactions. But Yeah, people don't people also just like don't like playing them or look at them and just don't understand them and don't even try to figure them out or for whatever reason people just like sticking yeah. to their comfort zones i've fallen prey to that for sure and i've always been one to like try out something that looks interesting like the first versions of phoenix decks looked really interesting to me even though they were literally garbage they had a yes. bunch of fiery tempers in them and they were so bad <laughs> Yes. But I played it and I'm like, okay, the Sarkoid Phoenix card is busted and Fiery Temper is straight unplayable. <laughs> it's like a solid one match to get all of the Is It Charms out of the deck. Yeah. That was, yeah. But stuff like that, you know, just try out some stuff. You'll you'll get ahead some of the time. Other times you'll learn stuff, you know? That's kind mm-hmm. of how I've always approached magic. Yep, definitely. Cool. Well, I think that's it for us for today. Unless you got anything else there? No, I'm set. I'm looking cool. forward to playing some Kaladesh in a couple weeks, honestly. Yeah, I I mean, we'll see. Like, the limited format might be, like, who knows? You know, Kaladesh and, and either Revolt Limited were, like, fine. But given the context of, like, the sets over the past couple of years, it's, like, a pretty medium limited format. But who knows what this limited format is like. It could be different in some nice ways or whatever. There's just collective um, company in it. <laughs> yeah, that, what a... That, like, honestly, just, like, threw my experience of Amonkhet Remastered off. Like, I lost a collective company multiple times, and it felt bad. And also, like, I was going long against an opponent, and then they just cast Sphinx's Revelation, and it just felt bad for, like, a way different reason from like just them drawing five cards would have felt bad otherwise when you've already played a format many 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 games and you're playing the format again and your opponent just legally casts a card that's just not in it you're like what yeah Yeah. it just blows you out in combat with a collected company like it just doesn't make any sense casts wrath of god hold on yeah that one could actually have happened though Uh, yes that was a masterpiece but like it didn't happen. It never happened to me. It happens I got so, wrathed. so frequently. I got wrathed in that format plan for X1 day one of a GP. Okay, so I'm. it's saying it can happen, <laughs> but the likelihood of it happening to any one person over 100 right. matches is very low. Quite low. Quite low. But I did get Wrath of Godded playing for X1 in the last round of day one of a GP. And you know what? It act- That also felt pretty bad. So... <laughs> All right, well, thanks so much to everybody for listening. We really, really appreciate your time. If you want to lend us some support, head over to patreon.com slash mtggrindcast and, you know, get all the stuff that I mentioned at the beginning of the episode. Uh, If you want to find us on social media, I am tweeting from at CCR underscore grindcast. Lee is also on Twitter. I'm at Lee McLeo. Next week, we will be going over some legacy in preparation for the Mana Trader stuff going on, because I think we definitely want to talk about it while the prelim period is still happening. So that prelim period has started. So if you want to play in the legacy tournament, definitely, I would recommend playing some prelims, prelim matches. Uh, If you don't have a Mana Traders account yet, use the code tournament to sign up for the, what is it? 25, 25, 25, 25% 25 off. 25% off. 
I always forget. 25% uh, off your first three months, and that helps us out too. I think that's it for us. Yep, I'm set. Great. Uh, thanks so much for listening, and have a great week. Bye.